I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and this is The How, The Why, presented by 1888. Every week, we connect with artists, authors, and innovators in the world of publishing and literature to discuss their creative process and creative purpose and explore the evolution of the industry. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get connected. Hello and welcome to the How, the Why, brought to you by 1888. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected with Yi Shun Lai, uh, author, writing coach, editor, and blogger, and uh, great conversationalist. So yeah, all of you are going to miss out on this amazing conversation that we just had about wine and food and Claremont, unfortunately. But you get the pleasure of whatever we're about to talk about. So, Yishun, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, John Barrett. What a pleasure it's been already. Right. Yeah. Again, see, you know, I, I'm just, maybe I'm being cruel by, by mentioning how amazing the rest of the conversation has been. But this part is going to be great as well. I know it. I know it. I feel it in my bones. Uh, so c- congratulations. Your uh, book is about to come out, not a self-help book, The Misadventures of Marty Wu. You have a release date. I don't know. By the time this podcast is out, it might already have been released. But you, it's May of this year, so this month. That's correct. Yeah. In fact, it is actually already out. Oh, Excellent. Congratulations. We are we are starting to see some reviews come in and folks seem to be largely enjoying it, which is really kind of the point of literature, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now let's go back to the beginning. So this is where you are. Book published, out and getting good reviews. But let's start back with you as a young girl and discovering this art of storytelling and literature. What, what age did you see that this was something that you wanted to do, that you wanted to play with words and you wanted to tell stories? Your characterization of young girl might be more accurate than even you suspected. Uh, when I was seven, I was paging through Vogue magazine, which, as you know, has some pretty amazing editorial, both in terms of visual aspect and in terms of Uh, The words, obviously, I wasn't reading all of the articles in Vogue magazine. Who reads Vogue magazine, right? (laughs) I go backwards from (laughs) every magazine I have. It's weird. So then you are reading, but just backwards. (laughs) Pretty unique. That's a good thing. Um, And, uh, you know, I looked at the masthead and I I said to my mom, I want to be a part of this thing. What what is this? What is this thing with these people's names on it? And um, so that's that's when I kind of sort of knew that I wanted to work with words. Of course, it, it's not really a thing for um, for young people to immediately start writing. But I think I had been writing short stories with my with my cousin at the time um, for for a while. And then when I got into junior high and high school, I started writing for the newspaper and um, continued to write short stories and great stuff like that. And just had really good instruction and really supportive teachers who helped me along the way. So I was lucky along the way. But did you know that this was? a career thing or at that that point like what what was the moment that you saw okay this is this is too much of me i have to go and pursue this oh that's a really really deep question um 
Okay, so I don't know that I expected ever to um, make a living at it. I just knew that it was something that I had to do. Um, and there was a period in college where I thought that um, I was going to go be a lawyer in some way, shape or form, because after all, I, I tend to think very broadly about, about words and the capability of them. So I, I sort of wrote it off by way of saying, oh yeah, you know, I can still work with words because lawyers tend to be very rhetorical in nature and I'll be writing lots of legal briefs and that'll be okay. Right. But then I always knew that there would always be something on the side as well. I would always either be writing essays or, um, or short stories or something to that effect. But then I realized too, that there was this whole industry out there and I didn't really, um, get into that. I don't think until my sophomore year in college, um, when I interned for the local paper here in Claremont, which is called the Claremont Courier. And I realized that that one could make a living at this sort of thing. So um, that's when I really started pursuing it with intent um, and uh, went to the Radcliffe Publishing Course, which is now the Columbia Publishing Course, after college and uh, then got a job in advertising sales at a at a magazine, which coincidentally is what Marty Wu does for a living when we first meet her in the novels. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where I got that idea. <laughs> But then you went on and you got your your MFA as well. So was this just like there's a momentum? I have to follow this. Um, so you know, I had been a professional writer for for years, and I, I wrote for magazines and for newspapers. I was a freelancer for a little while, writing for outdoors publication, and and loved it, loved it to pieces. I loved meeting all the people and and getting to sort of insert them into um, into stories, whether that be. Uh, via reportage for the magazine or um, via more short stories, right? Like, okay, so for instance, there's a guy that I met on a train in New York City who was wearing the most buttoned up suit you've ever seen in your life. It was a three-piece linen suit. Uh, it was beige. Um, and then he crossed his legs and he was wearing red socks. And I have been dying to insert him into a story like forever and ever and ever. This is, uh, this is back in 1997. I still haven't found a good place to put him. And I actually, I was so intrigued by him that I actually went over and asked him what he did for a living. Like I just had to know. And it turns out he was a cartographer. <laughs> huh. yeah so he you know he illustrated maps for a living and wow. i thought that was just so cool so i'm just dying to sort of insert this person someplace um but at any rate um you know i had i had always been a writer and i'd always done it uh, either for a living or for my own purposes or you know for uh publication but then as i as i sort of started to grad gravitate towards longer work i.e i wanted to write a novel and i knew that about myself um, and as I was submitting things, I began to realize that there was a, there was a problem with my work. Um, it, I was getting lots of requests for what we call partials and fulls, i.e., you know, agents asking to see the entire book, mm -hmm. um, or part of it for, for vetting, but then that never went anywhere. And a lot of the feedback I was getting was, was sort of hammering home on the exact same problem, which is that, um, I had a problem with plot and I didn't know how to fix it. So I joined some, um, some writers organizations and went to a couple conferences. And the end result of that was that I felt like I needed some really targeted attention based around how to fix this problem I had. So that's the reason I got the MFA, but between the starting of the writing, let's call it age, you know, 16 or so. And the MFA, there was a good God, 15, 20 years of, you know, noodling around in my own words and having some success and, you know, just enough success to sort of like keep your head above the fray, um, but not the success I wanted. So that's eventually why I went to get the MFA. And then when did the coaching and uh, uh, consultation work start? Was that after the MFA? 
No, um, it turns out that that when you are a professional writer and when you are um, an astute reader, I guess I'm being really highfalutin about myself there. Um, let's just say that I really like to read and that and that as as I was reading, I, I learned some things about the craft of, of writing and about reading um, that I really wanted to pass on to other people. So uh, as I was as I was working my way through the decision about whether or not I wanted to pursue an MFA, I also opened up a shop and, um, you know, became a, a brand consultant uh, and a writing coach as well, which is by far both of those things are, are the best parts of, of my day to day life, I think. So you made this into a, you kind of just created your career through the freelance work and the, the consulting. Yeah, um, I think it was probably more of, of a lifestyle decision than it was anything else. Um, I made the decision that I really wanted um, to spend the bulk of my time helping people to tell stories. And for me, that sensitivity of being able to say to myself when I get up every morning, today I'm going to help somebody tell a story that they really want to tell but don't know how yet. Or today I'm going to help a company find their voice, which they haven't had previously. Or today I'm going to build a brand avatar for a company that hasn't had one previously. That's really rewarding. And I think that's something that I, I'm likely to never give up just because I think it's, um, it's, it's valuable. How do you go about finding your business? Like how do you find the, the companies or do the companies find you? Yeah, a lot of it is word of mouth. Um, I know that there's, there is always this, this battle around whether or not LinkedIn is a, is a fairly useful tool or not. For this freelancer, it is, has been really useful. But then, of course, you have to do your due diligence around that, right? You have to go around getting recommendations and you have to make sure that you keep your profile updated, which I'm not very good at, by the way. But the rest of it is largely word of mouth. Um, and then the, something like the LinkedIn profile or your, your presence online, we all have a digital footprint, right, becomes just backup material so that people can feel comfortable with you if and when they eventually go around to decide hiring you. And, and is the same true with the uh, consulting and, and editing work as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, some of some of it is I, I try to do um, as many podcasts and as many interviews as will come my way, uh, because I think it's important for people to know that there are people like me out there who like to help you find your voice or like to help your brand find your voice. Um, so when people hit upon those interviews, they they often will follow up with some kind of phone call or some kind of technical query where they want to know whether or not I can help them out. Now let's talk a little bit about that consulting. I mean, I think most of our listeners are in the literary world and writers as opposed to companies. Um, so to talk just a little bit about what you do when you get a writer or a new writer or this, you know, piece of work that is finished, but the writer doesn't know what to do with it or that is almost finished and somebody is stuck. One of the things that makes me really crazy about formal education today in the writing world is that they do not address the business of writing. I can't tell you how many people I've met at writers conference who are, who are like, I don't know how to find, a, uh, find an agent or I don't know how to write a query letter. Well, one would hope that these are things that you might pick up in the course of your becoming a writer. Um, and uh, by the way, I'm not sure I buy into that whole idea of writers being introverts and very bad marketers of themselves. I mean, if you've written a book, you need to be able to do honor to it, right? If there's a, you know, I wish I remembered his name. There's a bookseller in, in Los Angeles that I actually cribbed this from where he was like, yes, it's true. Um, you know, people who write books, uh, authors now are being asked more to do more marketing. But he sees it really as not so much marketing as it is doing honor to your work. 
Um, and I think that phrasing of it is, is spot on, right? Like it's not about whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or whether you're bad at marketing or good at marketing or whether you're embarrassed about, you know, showing off what you've written or you have imposter syndrome or whatever. It's about doing honor to all the hours you put into crafting this work, right? So for me, when, when somebody comes to me with, uh, with a query, um, about, uh, whether or not we're a good fit, uh, whether or not, um, the book is ready for editing or anything to that effect. I often will spend half an hour to an hour with them on the phone or over Skype, um, talking to them about what they think they want for it. And of course I'll take a look at a couple sample chapters, see if we're a good fit. Um, and if we're not a good fit in any way, shape or form, I will often be ready to pass on, um, that person to somebody else who I think will be a better fit. You know, finding a good editor or finding a good consultant or a writing coach is like any other process where you're going out to find some kind of contractor. You need to be sure that the person is going to do the work that you want and give you what 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 you want to get out of the process. Um, and there's lots of editors out there who have different offerings than I do. So I just point them in that direction. But, yeah, getting back to the point about about uh the business of writing, like one of the things that is the easiest thing for folks to do is pass around knowledge about, about what it takes to publish a book and what that actual process looks like. So a lot of what I do is based around that. What does a good fit look like? I mean, for you, what is, what is, what is it that you look for or what is it that you are averse to when somebody is, is wanting to work with you? I look for people who aren't too precious about their own work. Uh, I look for somebody who has a healthy distance from it. I look for somebody who has some experience with, with critique groups. Uh, in fact, my first step is often to ask people whether or not they've been to a critique group. This kind of thing can be an expensive proposition. And if you haven't been through a critique group before, I strongly urge you to go in that direction before you actually go about hiring somebody professional. Um, you need to get used to... Uh, receiving feedback and taking it in in smart fashion. Um, if you are going to be hypersensitive to to feedback, then we're not going to be a good fit together. You know, it's really easy to to write people off as having a chip on their shoulder. Uh, of course, folks are going to have chips on their shoulders, right? It's this is their work. This is the pride thing that we talked about before and doing honor to it. Like if if you don't feel sensitively tied to your work, then then something is wrong, right? Um, but for, for me, there's a real fine line between folks who are too precious about their works and, and, uh, and, and folks who just don't care too much about it. And what I'm looking for is that is the person who has a healthy distance, uh, enough from the work where they want to receive feedback from it for it. They are ready to receive feedback and they've taken the steps who, uh, that, that come prior to that finding critique group, um, having worked with a writing partner, that type of thing. And you're not just accepting uh, writers who have these completed manuscripts and don't know what to do. You also work with writers who have works in progress as well. That's correct. Yep. Um, and with, with dealing with a work in progress, is there the temptation to go back and revamp everything that's already been done or to help get through whatever is already started. That's part of the intake. And it is extremely specific to every single client that crosses my desk. There are some people who will be very clear on the fact that they want somebody to really hold their hand and guide them through it. And uh, then there are other people who are just like, I just want to get it on the page, right? Both of those are important parts of the process, but they are part and parcel of an overall work. So depending on where you are in the work, that's the way that we'll approach your, your document or your work in progress. How much of your time and and energy is put to these consultations like how does it i'm sure it varies but uh 
Yeah, it was very. You you've caught me at sort of a weird at a weird stage because the the book has just come out, and so we're 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 in a weird flux stage where a lot of my time is spent um, ensuring that that the book sees the light of day, right? Where I wanted to see the light of day. Um, and by the way, I should also say that my, that my publisher shade mountain press has, has done a lot of work on this front. So I don't want to give up the impression that it's just me sort of flailing about in this pool of publicity. That's not the way it's happening at all. But ordinarily in, in a normal working month, I'd say I probably spend roughly half of the working week, um, working with writers and ensuring that they, that they get what they need. Now let's talk too about, sorry, you've been working on this book. How long were you working on not a self-help book? Which draft? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But when did you start saying, okay, I'm going to do something longer. I want to focus on a novel and this is the novel that I'm going to be working on. Okay. So I have to preface this by saying that, that I have like three other novels that are, that are, you know, gathering dust that, that were either national novel writing month projects or, uh, projects that I just did because I really, I really cared about. And th those two, sorry, those, one of those books is a young adult book. The other one is a middle grade novel. Um, and then the other one, um, is, is another contemporary book, although it is not women's contemporary. So in between then, as I was, as I was cobbling together those, I was also working on this one. I mean, overall, I'd say I've been noodling on this book for like a decade, mm. uh, which is a really, really long time. And I would recommend it for nobody. Don't do that. It is not a good idea. Also, if you're going to work on something, like it's a really good idea to work on it with intent. Like, I mean, I'm one of those magpie people where like I see something shiny and I'm like, I should, maybe I should do that. Right. Maybe I should work on that. And then the problem is, okay, so like magpies, maybe it's not a magpie. Magpies, <laughs> sort, of like, magpies sort of like collect things here and there. Right. And they're happy with that thing. I, I see something shiny and then I want to dig for whatever else is under the ground. Right. So what creature is that? What is that? Something I don't know. My, my zoological uh, <laughs> brain is not in the place to figure that out. I could Google it, I guess. <laughs> don't do it now. We'll do that. We'll do that for the next conversation we have. Um, I think I, I think my problem is that like I, I am interested in so many different things that, that I tend to be very easily distracted. So, you know, if you're going to write a book, like don't pull an Ishan, you know, don't do that. It's a bad idea. Just, you know, sit down, like write the book. Don't take a decade to do it. You know, if, if you find yourself to be to be reasonably good at lots of things, it's probably good to prioritize yourself and kind of work on these things. So, yeah, it took me I would say I've been percolating on this book for, for a long, long, long time. But to be fair to myself and also because I want to be a little bit lenient, uh, let's say that the book also went through a couple of drafts where it was like, oh, I'm going to tell it in the first person and I'm going to tell it in the third person. And then I decided I was going to go back to the first person and then I decided that wasn't right. So eventually I settled on the epistolary format, which is, you know, the diary format. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's eventually where it ended up. So what was, what was it about this book that, uh, made it more shiny than the other objects? <laughs> You're not going to let me live that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my Rudentia friend. How are you? Um, let's see. It, for me, it was it was like there there is an alternate American lifestyle out there, right? Um, there's an alternate American dream out there, and I really wanted to tell that story because I was hearing it told to me anecdotally and living it. Uh, this you know this 1.5 generation um, immigrant story over and over again, but I didn't see anything that was that was um, being published in this vein. So for me, it, it became more and more urgent uh, as a matter of course, just because I, the years went by and I didn't see anything that was like it. So I just felt like I needed to continue to work at it and, and get it out there as much as I could.
And what's happening with the other shiny objects? Uh, they're no longer so shiny. <laughs> you know, closed desk drawers also get dusty. I don't, I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah. Um, they are, they are sitting in Kinko's boxes. You know, having been printed out, so they, they do exist still, and they still kind of exist in my, in my brain. But as I said, they are for very different age groups, and I think right now I'm, I'm quite happy in this women's contemporary sphere. Uh, so I'm going to work in this for a little while. I do have a second book that that will fall into this um, into the same demographic. So I'm I'm quite happy with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that for a little while and then maybe go back to young adult middle grade. Now working so much as a consultant and uh, as an editor, how does that affect you as a writer? Are you ultra uh, uh, harsh on yourself and or do you just let yourself get it out? Oh no, I reserve the harshness for my clients, John Barrett. <laughs> no, that's terrible. I'm I'm actually a very nice person, really. <laughs> you know, it's two different things, right? Um, you you put on um multiple hats for multiple tasks, obviously. I'm not very hard on myself in terms of in terms of the writing. I am hard on myself in terms of the editing. And I should say that I have lots of visual cues to help me with being harder on myself because I, I suspect that I'm not as hard on myself as I should be. So like I have a word thermometer, you know, that thing that you guys, that, that we used to use in grade school for like fundraising and it was like a big yes, thermometer. Yes. And okay. So I have a, I have a word count thermometer, red pen coloring in the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, I have, I have a, a word count thermometer and at every five or 10,000 words or so I reward myself with something like, I don't know, something like a day out at the museums or um, a day not thinking about the work, which is like virtually impossible. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the way, the way that I managed uh, to find a middle ground, I think between the two, but it helps. Visual cues are, visual cues are useful. It's a good thing. And do you have an agent as well? I don't have an agent. I queried, I think I wrote this up in a blog post someplace. I'll send it to you. I think I queried 85 agents, 20 didn't get back to me at all. Um, I had a bunch of requests for fulls and partials. Um, and at the end of that process, I ended up with one and a half offers for representation. Oh, excuse me. That's incredibly rude. Sorry. So, uh, I ended up with one and a half offers for representation. And I say one and a half because, um, the agent that I got, that I really wanted, whom I got really close with asked me for a revise and submit. And I revised for her. And at the end of the day, it didn't work for her, but it made the book what it is today. So I'm really grateful to have worked with her. And then I had one full offer, uh, which I eventually turned down for lots of reasons, which we can go into if you like. And uh, then I also queried something like 21 small publishers. And this is the one that outed. Um, I had a couple of other offers and I turned those down as well because it just wasn't a good fit. But this one with Shade Mountain Press turned out to be the right offer. So now what? You said your, your publisher, Shade Mountain, is uh, doing a lot of work of getting your book out there. But what what do you do now? What is your job as a writer of this book, not a self-help book? So right now, um, the way it works is uh, I am writing to uh, a reasonable number of college professors by way of introducing myself, or hopefully I already have another introduction to them. Um, I'd like to see the book get into some college curricula. And I'm very lucky in that it has been well received in that demographic. So it will be taught in a couple of college classes in the fall and is being taught right now. Um, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's uh, very cool. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's just so great to be able to talk to college students about what they're reading, because I. I mean, I find them to be a really great demographic in lots of different ways. But right now, being able to talk to them when they're, you know, they're in this luxurious time in their life where all they have to do is learn is is really kind of neat. So 
So I'm doing some of that outreach. I'm also doing a lot of uh, a lot of interviews like this. Um, I'm also uh, going to visit a lot of a lot of bookstores coming up. So I will be on quote unquote on book tour, which is very exciting to say after a decade of thinking about that. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of appearances and a lot of you know sort of setting that up and also working with other writers to see how we can make something like the reading experience be uh, the you know i.e. the the reading experience as an audience okay um, be much more interesting. Because I'm not sure that people who go to readings really just want to listen to an author read from a book that they may have already read. I think they go to walk away with something new, to feel like they have learned something new. So mostly the readings I'm setting up are uh, either interviews with another writer or I'm doing one in Chicago that's an interview with an NPR producer. And the idea is to give the audience something that, that they can walk away with and feel like they've learned something new. So that's, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Although it, there is something to be said about hearing the book read from with the voice of the writer. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, either you're going because you are a fan of that writer or you've already read that book. Absolutely. I mean, the the other part of it, too, is that I'm working with a couple of other writers, Leland, Leland Chuck and uh, Hasathika Sirisena, uh, to name a couple, on um, a series around diversity in publishing. Uh, which I think is always a hot button issue, but it, it would be good, I think, to get the audience involved in that discussion. So we're working on a series of panel discussions on that, which will begin in New York, uh, July 21st at Word Up Bookstore in Harlem. So could be good. So now with that, with your book tour, with everything you're putting together, with the consultation and the editing and the brand marketing Let's talk a little bit about what a day in a life of Yishun is and what what your routine is to get that all done and, and put those different hats on at the appropriate time. Oh, God, John Barrett, do we have to? It is, <laughs> it is such a mess right now. I used to be so organized. So... Um, so I used to make a daily list, okay, with with check marks on it, right? And it had little little like check boxes that I could fill out, and I would draw the check boxes and then check them off or cross them out as as the day went on. And it, now it's just the point where I think maybe today you caught me on a particularly bad day because I have like 15 things to do. I think it actually is 15 things to do, and they are all little tasks that lead to larger things, right? Or that 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 um, add to the completion of one thing or another. Um, and none of them have gotten done today. Absolutely none of them. It's, it's an absolute nightmare. So really, right now, the, the the things that are on my desk, let's talk about this week, okay. The things that are on my desk this week are, I need to uh, firm up some, some, some New York City reading or appearance dates. I need to uh, do some work for, for an existing branding client that, that I have, and that, that's a sort of a daily kind of social media-oriented thing. Then I have a proposal to write for, um, for two writing coaching clients. Um, I have a proposal to write for an editing coaching client. I, I should probably at some point eat breakfast. <laughs> but is it one? It's one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm with you there too. I had a cliff bar. That's uh... okay. That doesn't count. No, that's not good. That's like, that's like eating styrofoam. So that's not <laughs> okay. So, so, so basically like the, the things, the things that I really build my life around, particularly when I have a week like this week where everything is up in the air is I look at the things that have to be done. I, I should eat. I, I really have to walk the dog twice a day. Otherwise, he's he's extremely neurotic. So he will just you know stare at me if I don't if I don't walk him. 
and and uh, I should probably exercise, okay? And I have to get the branding work done because um, they're great clients and they pay the bills, okay? So so these are things I have to get done. And then the rest of it, I'm kind of like cramming in around around the corners. <laughs> so that's what's happening this week. <laughs> Let's talk next week. Maybe I'll be better off. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny because I've, I've talked to a couple of different people and I have a good friend who's trying to develop this entire world for a TV show and I'm I'm thinking about these these checklists and and they all seem like great ideas. I don't utilize them and I probably should cuz I am so disorganized for everything that I have to do. And then this has nothing to do with I'm trying to think of sorry Bear with me. <laughs> okay. Absolutely, I, I feel like I've dragged, dragged you off track because I also feel like people expect um, people who appear on podcasts to be organized. And I have just told you that that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just not happening. I've probably thrown you off entirely. I'm so sorry. No, it's, it's, it's good. So, well, all right, let's get a little more specific, though. Like when you sit down to write, what is it that you need? When you sit down to actually do some – uh, a creative work. If you're writing something that is yours, what what is it that you need, and how does that differ from when you sit down to work um, for a, a company or for somebody else? Right. Wow. Okay. I, I'd like to say that they're that they're not that they're not too different. And the truth is that I just sort of block out the time and then and then I just do it for for both of those tasks. But I, I think you're right. I think there these two things are are quite separate. When I have an idea for an essay or a short story or whichever, I tend to drop everything else and just go with it. In other words, I will write that idea down ASAP and whatever thoughts are floating around with it right there and then. So I need space and time. Um, and by the way, that's usually done longhand. I can't I can't really do that on a computer. Um, that 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 sort of brainstorming process doesn't work for me on on a computer. For the clients, that's more of a very structured like, okay, um, let's let's take an hour or two and you know just tick off the things that have to be done. Clients come with to do lists, uh, and um, granted, my work is is probably a little more creative than um, than than other people's work, but that to-do list is an absolute luxury for me because then I can actually check off the things that have to be done. Whereas when you're freeform writing, you just kind of have to like get it done, uh, until it tells you it's finished. And then, then, you know, then after that comes the revising and the editing and the policy, but the rest of the stuff that sort of initial getting it down on paper, that has to happen for me, like right then and there when I have the inspiration, otherwise it'll never get done. All right. Final question. Final question, which is none of these are questions or maybe I guess they are, but I don't know. How long do you give yourself to take this book and promote it? I mean, does that ever stop or is it until the next thing is out and ready to be promoted? Is there um, a window? I mean, you know, it's, and I'm asking this for myself and for other writers that I know, like at what point, like it's right now it's fresh, it's, it's new, it's just released, but how long does that promotion continue? Oh, you know, I don't think I can answer that with any kind of authority. I will say that 
I think at a certain point it becomes a function of how much time you can afford mm. for me, because I have these other things that, that I'm working on. I mean, I also edit nonfiction for the Tahoma literary review, which is a great literary magazine. Um, and I, I'm a volunteer for a disaster relief agency called Shelterbox, which, which takes up a lot of my heart and a lot of my time. So once you add in all those things, plus, you know, neurotic dog and feeding of oneself, um, <laughs> you, you kind of start to run out of time, right? I am going to uh, promote the crap out of this book as long as I as long as I possibly can or as long as I have the time to do so and the energy to do so. Um, with that said, once the second book um, you know gets drafted and and is done, which according to my life calendar I'm supposed to have done by June, uh, that's not going to happen. So you know once that gets gets drafted and I start crafting the query letter and you know go through the rounds of edits and start sending it out to my colleagues who I want to beta read it. Um, and then do the revisions and all that time is necessarily going to be going to be a problem. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. I mean, I, I'd like to say that I'm that I'm free and easy and loosey goosey about this. And, oh, you know, it'll happen whenever it happens. But I think I'm probably I think I'm probably going to be at this for for the next eight months or so. And uh, and then hopefully there'll be there'll be a draft of something else to pitch. So we'll see where that goes. I don't know. Is there is there a, a sort of like tried and true answer for that? I, I, no? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this all out. And you know, it's it's different. You know, when you're working with a, a smaller press, you know, a lot of that does fall on you. And uh, I think I don't know. I don't know. That's, well, it, I'm going to end it with an I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, that's. I, mean, I think that's. I think that's totally fair. But but I also think it's fair to um, to raise the 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 issue that uh, I like marketing. Um, and I, I kind of see almost everything one does in life as as an extension of marketing, right? When when you walk out your front door to okay, walk the neurotic dog, um, you know, you might bump into somebody who needs something else to read, and that's a little bit of marketing, right? Sure, um, sure. Or when you're at the grocery store, you might you might run into somebody who um, who needs a writing coach, right? That that's marketing too. Um, for me, it's like our lives as writers unlike in other careers, impinge on everything else. Um, doctors, granted, are always thinking about how the human body works and um, and whether or not this case is going to be solved or, or whichever. Um, writers, I think, are, are a little bit similar in that every time we turn the corner, we could see something that sparks a story or that sparks a thought. That makes us very lucky, but it also makes us perpetual workers. Um, and if you really love the work that you've produced and you're proud to see it out in the world, then that marketing work also never stops, Right. So, I mean, we can talk to each other about prime optimal periods for marketing until we're blue in the face. But the reality is that if you believe in the work that you've produced, uh, you're probably going to be plugging it for a very, very, very long time. Well, Yishan, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me. Um, thank you. What a pleasure. This has been The How, The Why with John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanick and yours truly, with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The How the Why theme music was composed and performed by Dan Record. Please consider supporting 1888 and our mission. Become an 1888 advocate by purchasing our books, participating in our programs, and pledging today. For more information, visit 1888.center. That's 1888.center. I want to remind you all to keep making art.
Thank you.